Welcome, everyone, to Plugged and Unplanned. It's Tony Nash, the CEO of Booktopia, back with you again. And, of course, I have another author, Ian Whitworth, the author of Undisruptible, Timeless Business Truths for Thriving in a World of Nonstop Change. Welcome to the show. Nice to be with you, Tony. So congrats on the book published by Penguin. Um, Normally, I get John Wiley. They're the business book people. But Penguin, of course, one of the world's largest publishers. So congratulations for being picked up by them. The um, How many books have you written? One. <laughs> this this is it. one. This is it. This is it. <laughs> this is it. I'm a, uh, I'm a first-time author and uh, to be with Penguin is pretty much the highlight of my life so far. Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, um, excluding wife and kids and all those other things. Yes, uh, in, in, indeed. They know that. But yeah, speaking <laughs> of things I can but, control. <laughs> So I always like to ask uh, for debut authors, um, you know, what would your English teacher say or your school teachers say when they, when they heard, uh, when they hear that you wrote a book? Uh, will they, are they going to go, you wrote a book? Or it's like, yeah, of course he was ever, always going to write a book. Yeah, no, it's always been my thing. I, to this day, even though I'm a business owner, I don't know if I'm a a writer who somehow worked out how to do business or a business owner who can write. But yeah, writing was always my thing. When I was a, a, a tiny kid, I was sitting there reading Spike Milligan books and Clive James books. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I, I love writing. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's one of my things. So yeah, no surprises for those English teachers. <laughs> Congrats. Well, Good to get one under the belt. It's obviously and my and my and my and my beloved mum is, uh, I believe, going to take a copy of the book around to the old school library in Tweetheads. So uh, bless her for that kind of long range closure on that one. <laughs> yeah, that's um, that's always great when the parents are the biggest promoters and social influencers of a book. Um, and my dad is nonstop talking about Booktopia. Um, he's a he's our publicist. Um, so bless him. Yeah. So, uh, you, so you say you're a business owner. So you've written a book and you're a business owner, undisruptible. Um, so obviously it's about focus and 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 dealing with all of the the chaos that we we work in, um, and we have to deal with. What? Just tell us about your business. My business is uh, an audiovisual technical business in the events field. So we do the sound, video, lighting, et cetera, for major corporate events. Uh, so when a, a bank or a car company or a pharmaceutical company wants to communicate to its staff or customers, we put on the show. So we have uh, around the country in every, pretty much every city in the country, warehouses full of super expensive tech equipment and the people who push the buttons to make it all work. Hmm. So, so when you take that um, practical experience, and this is me now really as a CEO trying to dive in here, um, you've, you've taken what you're doing practically at work and, and I assume tried to distill that down into a book for the rest of us to, to, to get some clarity. Is, is that how you've approached uh, the writing of the book. Yeah, there's a there's a a, a lot of stuff, a, a lot of learning, both uh, good and stupidity on my behalf has gone into this. I originally trained as a vet, uh, and then they threw me out of that for being an absolute disruptive clown, and they were right to do so. 
Uh, I then became an audiovisual technician and then just then ended up becoming a creative director and set up my own uh, advertising agency uh, for uh, 10, 15 years or so, doing uh, doing a lot of uh, interesting big brand stuff. And uh, so what happens is when you have an ad agency, you spend a lot of time coming up with ideas that are that are, are interesting, but they're based on sound, sensible business strategy. But the clients all go, oh, I don't know. It's a bit creative, creative being the code word for it terrifies us and we don't want to risk our careers doing something interesting. So Scene Change, the current business, was a side project to go, I'm going to test with my own money and that of my business partners whether these ideas work on a business that we own. And so we did that. And uh, happy days, the side project grew into the main game. It's you know, it's got about 70 staff now and uh, is a you know, reasonable sized business. And uh, so the book is about how you take that jump from employee to owning your own business, because a lot of people are in a job that kind of sucks and they're thinking, I feel a bit helpless here. I wish I had more control over my own destiny. So the book is about how to take that control back by setting up your own business. So it's like a, a, a branding knowledge on how to come up with something that will sell, how to market it, the nitty gritty of setting up your own businesses and all the sort of traps that you run across along the way as you set up your own business from scratch, which you would uh, you would have experienced yourself. Mm, interesting. That, that didn't really come across in the title. So it's interesting that you share that with us. Um, because when I look at the, the chapter headings, it does very much um, kind of set the tone, I think, for what your, um, your, ta- your target market. I mean, I remember um, I, um, I did want to set up my own company and I did the business school for entrepreneurs with Robert Kiyosaki, the guy that wrote Rich Dad Poor Dad. He did that a number of years after I actually did that course. And I did it in 93 and he wrote it in 97, 98. And, and so um, I remember sitting there going, ha- you know, what's missing? What, what don't I know? And, and that course was really helpful. But really, it's once you get into it that you, you, know, you get confronted with the, with the realities of cash flow, um, or lack of it, uh, sales, uh, staff, recruiting, um, systems, software, um, um, things coming out of left field. So, so it's really helpful, really helpful. So when I, when I look at the chapter headings, and I might just pick out one uh, for random, not necessarily in order, um, you talk about um, busting the big business myths, one of the, the first chapters. What, um, you know, what can you kind of tease us with I, I as i always say i don't want you to give everything away here so it's like a, a spoiler that you never want to watch the movie because you know who did it in the last scene um but um you know i do want to kind of kind of dive in a little so people get a sense of of what they're going to get when you know when they buy your book and and that the reality and the expectation are very closely matched Absolutely. Uh, look, I think a, a lot of worthy people who want to set up their own businesses don't because there is a certain mythology about businesses. Uh, a, a few of those are the idea that business is about a great idea because everyone watches Shark Tank and people come in and they pitch this idea and the sharks go, mm, good idea. 
Um, the actual reality of business is that it's about 10% idea and about 90% dull but essential things like, as you say, cash flow, distribution, systems, getting it right, hiring all the right people. And if you don't get all of those right, your business gets rinsed. So a lot of people are going, oh, but I don't have a great breakthrough idea, so I can't start a business. Don't do that. Just start a business in the area you know and move on from there. Um, I think there's a mythology that you have to be a numbers wizard. I'm not. You know, I'm, a, I'm a writer guy and ex-vet you know, uh, student. And But businesses, if you can add up and do percentages on a spreadsheet, that'll do. Most businesses, in my experience, run on about you know, three or four uh, essential ratios. And if you get them right, your business works. So if you get deep into complex maths where you're doing net present value, discounted cash flows from the future and stuff, it's that stuff's great if you're building a toll road or a power plant or something, but most business people aren't. So our view is in maths terms, we look at investments to this day. If we can understand it drawn on the back of a coaster, we should say yes. And if it doesn't look like it's going to make a ton of money on the coaster, then don't do it because it'll always be worse than you expected. Um, and I think uh, other mythology, I think there's this mythology that you have to be this kind of alpha alpha boss, again, because people watch a lot of The Apprentice, uh, whereas in, in our view, being a boss is more just uh, shutting up and listening to people and, and removing obstacles from people who want to do a good job and let them make that effort. And uh, yeah, so uh, so... I think a lot of these myths do do hold people back when they shouldn't. Mm. So one of the things for me being an entrepreneur, um, I've been running my own businesses now for 25 years. The, the, the word entrepreneur comes from the French, entree, to enter, and preneur, to take. So, so you, you, you enter and then you, you take what's there. So it's kind of like hacking into the invisible universe uh, something that already exists and pulling it back and, and then you, you work with it. But to be fair for me, um, entrepreneurship doesn't necessarily mean running your own company. Uh, people are entrepreneurial in working for companies and others and being a leader, team leader. So uh, curiously then, um, how do you, do you feel now that you've written the book that it's, it's also applicable to people who, who are working in businesses or who are looking to, to um, run business units and divisions of businesses, not just necessarily someone who's looking to start their own company, or is it very much targeted towards the you know, the the owner of a of a business, the self that you know, you've got a large company, seventy people, um, a sole trader may only have themselves, or they may only have a few people working for them. What what, what do you reckon the target market is? Uh, the target market is, is, I think, broader than just people who want to set up their own business. There's a lot of, uh, I think, business truths in there, or so I'm told. It's hard to judge your own work, but uh, I'll, I'll go by the best review I've had so far or I ever expect to get from the proofreader uh, who did the book for Penguin Random House. Uh, proofreaders, obviously, are just there to clean up errors and tidy stuff up. And uh, 
she said, uh, the book is outstanding. I have never in my entire career enjoyed reading a business book, but this old socialist was chortling out loud from start to finish. So my view is if I can convert old socialist proofreader, as she called herself, uh, to, uh, to being into business, then I call that a win. A lot of it's about the, the fun of business. Uh, it doesn't have to be your own company, but business is, is tremendous fun. I think a lot of business books don't convey that. It's, uh, it's like you know, solving incredible puzzles and meeting interesting people and uh, getting to do, you know, if you've got some level of control, getting to do whatever the hell you want and seeing if it makes money. And uh, that's enormous fun. And the great thing is it just gets more and more fun. You know, if, you're a, if you're a model or a sports star, everyone loves you. But your good old days are when you're in your 20s and then you spend the rest of your life going, oh, yeah, that was good times back then. And then sooner or later, it's like, do you know who I am? Don't you know who I am? It's like, no. Uh, whereas in business, you can just keep going. It just gets better and better. And it gets, as, you, as, as your business canvas gets bigger, you can do more fun things. And so it's just, in my view, tremendous lifelong entertainment. The money's good, but it's kind of secondary to the enormous amount of entertainment you can get out of it. Mm. I'm just kind of flicking through the pages now. By the way, when when was it actually released? What was the release date? Yesterday, June 16. Woohoo! Congratulations. It's out. It's in the stores. It's in Booktopia. I'm getting texts everywhere from people going, hey, Booktopia package has arrived. Oh. Look, there you go. Screen full of screen full of messages so uh that's that's very exciting unfortunately this is a podcast but i can verify I there was a imagine imagine an iphone <laughs> screen full of texts going i got your book i'm i can verify the image um then as i flick through the pages the i mean this there's some really um i mean obviously in advertising uh, no wonder uh, compelling kind of chap uh, you got you got um, part, there's parts to the book, uh, eight parts or something like that, and then you got chapter headings, which are all very compelling, um, very compelling advertising guru kind of um, um, short, sharp messages. Is it is it a book? Do you feel that you could literally, you know, sometimes I grab a book and I'll just kind of, you know, shut my eyes and then open on a page and go, okay, that's what I'm supposed to read today. That's something that I've done over many years. So can you can you do that and just simply get snippets without even having read it once? Or is it something that you feel you need to develop uh, from the first chapter all the way through to the end or you know, do, do that? And then always do, you've always got then the, the ability to flick it open at any page later. How do you feel how, how people can make use of it? It is very much open at random and read it. It is 60 self-contained chapters, which you can read entirely separate from each other. There is no plot. Funny, I was talking to a, a friend. Uh, she writes lovely novels for Penguin Random House. And I'm just going, I don't understand. I, I admire anyone who can deal with plots because the idea of that just gives me a headache. Um, when you learn to write in advertising, you learn to get to the point in about the first four words because otherwise you're gone. So uh, the idea of this is it's short stuff. A lot of my, uh, I think a lot of people uh, lead lives where they just can't, 
it's too much trouble remembering what they read last time. Yeah. Uh, if you've got kids or whatever. So the idea is you can just pick it up and just go, I'll read a chapter or two. They're pretty short and entertaining. And uh, yeah, read what you like. Mm. There's a few, there's a secrets to success bit right at the end, but that's kind of not the point. That's it. Basically, all, I've written down all you need to succeed in business in 64 words right at the end. Because as an audio visual technician, I went to an enormous, I, I sat at the back of the room for an enormous number of, motivators hustlers futurists and whatever so i've heard all of the how to succeed things and what they're saying is true but they just go on and on about it you know they do all this showbiz shtick whereas all you need to succeed is pretty much eight facts that your parents told you you just weren't listening because why would you listen to your parents (laughs) very good i think people who are listening to this podcast are starting to get a bit of an inkling to Ian Whitworth and the way that he's gone about writing this book. I'm certainly doing that um, out yesterday. Undisruptible, timeless business truths for thriving in a world of nonstop change, published by Penguin. Um, yeah, I, I kind of get the sense that this is going to be a bit of a fun read. And, but at the same time, you've, you've interlaid the, the, the messaging around how to succeed in business, how to and perhaps re- reset and reframe your thinking so you can you can you can win. I, I notice here um, you've got one one of your chapter headings is go for silver. Go for silver. Um, everyone go talks about silver. go for gold. So um, I kind of get a sense what it's about. Do you want to share with us a little bit about that? Sure. Part of the a good way to look like a genius in business is just to find ideas that were used elsewhere and bring them into your own industry. And uh, what we did there was we were a plucky little startup outfit, and uh, but we believed in spending money on the brand. We we did a lot of that. We put full page ads in industry magazines and did a lot of advertising to uh, make us look bigger than we were. And uh, what we adopted was a very old, uh, older than you and I, Tony, uh, campaign by the original madman, Bill Burnback uh, of DDB New York. He wrote some uh, incredible ads back in the early 60s, which were the first ads that actually spoke to you like your realistic friend rather than just grandiose boasting about stuff. And uh, so they, they... their Volkswagen ads are still studied and revered to this day and uh, yeah, Apple steal a lot from them. And uh, anyway, Avis were being absolutely trounced in the market uh, by, uh, by their enemy. So uh, they came to burn back and said, look, we're, we're being, uh, we're being absolutely killed here. How can we do better? And Burnback's developed a campaign of uh, we're number two. So we have to try harder. And, uh, when you're in a market, there'll always be a number one, but there'll always be a certain number of people who want to use the number two because they resent the dominance of the number one and how they're expensive and how they're slow to respond to everything. So if you can position yourself as the number two, then not only is that a powerful marketing message in that you're really excited. And when you're on your own business, as you know, you're really excited when a customer calls up. It's like, yes, customer. You're like a dog seeing a tennis ball going, Ooh, customer, customer. And uh, and so the number two thing conveyed that vibe that we were keen for people's business, that we were really valued every new customer that came through the door. 
And so we adopted that. We did a whole series of ads going, we're number two. Yeah, we had photos of the Olympic podium with the number two technician, audiovisual technician jumping for joy while the gold position one was just standing there looking kind of uninvolved. And uh, what that did was, uh, what that did, part of the point of marketing as, as an ad guy, advertising and marketing will only do so much because a lot of it comes from the behavior of your own staff. So by us saying we're number two, so we have to try harder, that gave our staff a really strong compass on how to behave, how to go the extra mile, how to be more energetic. And so the reality of the product people got corresponded to the marketing message. So that worked really well. Admittedly, we were not number two at that time. We were like number, I don't know, eight or something. But people said to us, oh, you're so refreshingly modest, you guys at Scene Change. You're being happy with number two. And we're like, hey, we're happy with number two. And, uh, and we ended up uh, growing much, much bigger as a result of that. It became kind of self-fulfilling. So, uh, and, and they, in the original uh, Avis ads, they did say, uh, we didn't invent the idea of number two-ism. Anyone is free to use it. So we uh, picked up that ball and ran with it. I recommend mm -hmm. it. Look around. If you have a business, look outside your own industry for inspiration. Don't just go, hey, what's our direct competition doing and do that? because that's how everyone in most industries looks exactly the same. Mm. Mm. I mean, a lot of people say to me that I'm a genius with what I've done with Booktopia. I just cheated. I went overseas and look what Europe and North America were doing and thought, well, no one's doing that here and just brought it back and started doing most of that. I mean, to be fair, um, Amazon is number one, so um, uh, we're, we're going to be number two for quite some time. Um, <laughs> Um, it's it's a perfectly legitimate thing to do, um, yeah, yeah uh, and and easier now. But I mean, when you can travel again, I, I I do recommend traveling and going and seeing what people are doing in other countries because you don't just pick up ideas, but you just get inspired. You see big things, and you just go, "God damn, big things are so possible!" Look, it's been done. I can do this. So I think that's one of the under underestimated benefits of business travel to other places. Mm, correct. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. That's the same same for me. So you can still do a lot of research from your desktop and, and surf the net, but there's nothing like getting out there. So what when we think about um, what, do, you don't do any consulting then. You're just simply running your own business. This has been a, a personal project that you wanted to get away. Is that how it's playing? No, nobody can call you and say, by the way, I've got, you know, I've got my business and I love what I read. Um, how, how are you um, packaging your time? Uh, I, I closed down my advertising business because I just found it was more rewarding to where you could be in control of the whole process, you know, where you're in control of vehicles and capex and you know, uh, yeah, just the, the micro detail of it. I do, I am, I, we have some other investments. We've got a, a business called uh, Flea Mail, which does, uh, getting back to my veterinary roots, which does, uh, if you have a pet, one of the issues with your pet is that uh, you always forget to give it the flea ticket wooing medicine. So we send that medication out. It was started by a clinical vet who uh, had to put down 12 pets one day for entirely preventable diseases and uh 
they just went, screw this, which is so often the start of a good business idea. Screw this. I can save more pets by making sure lots of pets, thousands of pets get their proper preventive medication. So we're an investor on that. I'm on some advisory boards of firms. So yeah, I don't really do consulting anymore because uh, I haven't uh, haven't the time. I don't sort of, I don't work in the existing businesses. We've got, um, we've got managers who are much better than I am that run them day to day. So that, that frees me up to do, uh, to do things like books, which mm. is just tremendous entertainment. Mm. How wonderful. So do you think you've got other books um, sitting there and they're beyond this one? People keep asking me that. And I'm like, I don't know. Everything I know is in this book. You know, there's a, a decades of commercial career has been compressed into one book. And I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll probably be called out as a liar in two years, but I, I don't know if I want to put out a disappointing second book of offcuts. Uh, I really have tried to fit everything I know and all the all the painful lessons into into this one. There's a lot of there's a lot of pain, Tony. There's a there's a chapter called A Million Dollars in Mistakes, where I category where I describe four or five incidents where we did things that were seemed like a good idea at a time but in fact we're really stupid and burned seven figure amounts of money and were quite stressful at the time i'm hopeful i'll make fewer of those going forward but you never know i i don't think that's uh, avoidable if you're in business and you're continuing to stretch you've got to you've got to build up we've done the same so i, I just say bring it on um it's part of your part of your your um, leadership and business owner learning, you got to build that intuition. Intuition is made up of two words, intuition. So you're, you're in training and every experience that you have, you put in your gut, which becomes your intuition. When something else comes up, you're drawing on the feelings, the thoughts, the, the process, the journey when you lost a few million dollars or um, you just have to spend a few million dollars and not get the outcome that you originally intended. You must do that. And all of the, the successful, uh, and I'm talking about billion, multi, multi-billionaires have all had those kind of stories. For those that are old enough, if you think about OneTel with um, with the, the investment ah. that Packer and Murdoch. and Jody Rich. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And the younger, the younger Packer and and the younger and and the younger Murdoch put a lot of money in and both of them lost hundreds of millions of dollars for their families and but at the same time they would have learned an incre- incredible amount of amount of um experience made other decisions and that's a nine digit um uh, learning lesson not a not a seven digit one oh, like you and I have had to do savage i think part of i described this in the book part of you've got to learn to love the pain i realized i had to set up my own business when i had a really nice corporate job i had a corner office i had a you know, getting paid plenty great company loved it but i there were no surprises i knew every i was so comfortable in that role when someone would come to the door of my office i could tell just by the look on their face what they wanted to talk to me about and i knew the answer and i was just bored out of my mind and I realized what I needed was higher highs and lower lows and you can't have the highs unless you've hauled yourself up from some really deep dirty ditch so 
when the bad things happen, you just have to learn to love the bad things. And of course, for me, because I've been blogging on business topics, I've got to come up with a new story every week for the last three years, which is how this book came about. Uh, now, when something horrendous happens, I just go, well, that was pretty horrendous. But on the upside, that's another week's blog content because people love to read those stories. Mm. Hey, I just saw something about Rumpelstiltskin here. And one of and you're, you're, a, um, you know, you're a marketing expert. One of the things for me with Booktopia, when I came up with the name, I wanted people to be able to spell it uh, when they heard it. And mostly 99 times out of 100 get it right. Um, sometimes they still do Book Utopia instead of Booktopia. Uh, but also oh, yeah. that within the name, people knew what, what business we were in. Uh, at the time, there was um, Yahoo and, and other names of businesses that you really had no idea. They, they had to really establish themselves to be as big as they could be so people knew what they were. Just given that a lot of people that might read this are actually thinking of starting their own business and going on that journey, um, getting the, the brand name of your business right. What, what is your experience there? Well, I, I was a pro namer because uh, when I set up, when I went through that bit, I was talking about before, just going on board out of my mind, that was when I decided to set up my own ad agency. But part of the problem is there's a million ad agencies and marketing ad agencies. They're just everywhere. So it's like, well, what have I got to compete? Uh, so there were no specific naming agencies. So I set up as a naming agency on the grounds that if we did the brand name, then that would be a kind of Trojan horse gambit to then get their ongoing marketing work, which worked really well. And this was at a time when there's a lot of digital startups starting and so on. So yeah, I spent an enormous amount of time on on that. Um, your your name doesn't necessarily have to say what you do because that's largely what every name in that category is going to do. So, you know, if you're a phone company, then everyone's like, you know, one tell, phone king, phone wizard, Mister Phones, etc. And so, while it looks special to you, it's just another tree in the forest. Uh, and that's where evocative names like, say, uh, Amazon implies something massive that percolates its way into every corner of its territory. And geez, they certainly grew into that. Um, you know, Oracle suggests you know, access to incredible amounts of knowledge. You know, Caterpillar uh, creates this adorable image to all those tiny little metal feet walking all over a landscape. So kind of the idea of a good name is to come up with something that puts a picture in the mind of the people that are looking at it uh, and is kind of almost more about how you do it rather than what you do, because we know what you do generally. It's more about what your individual approach to it, uh, to it is. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And then just uh, do a lot of, uh, do it. It's an enormous amount of work coming up with a name. I think sometimes you're better off outsourcing it because generally it takes days and days of work and then you go into the uh, IP Australia website to check it out and see if it's available and someone's already got it before you. So, uh, yeah, but Booktopia is a nice name in that it does kind of convey something that you can you know, find and that's like, ha, ah, I've arrived at a magical place, the place of my book dreams where all the books I've ever imagined are right there for me. So that's got a 
quite a nice, it's got a nice rhythm. And as you say, it's really important that people can spell the bloody thing because when you have a name that's a clever misspelling of a common word, you and your staff will spend the rest of your commercial lives correcting people's spelling and having your emails go astray, which is pretty tiresome after the first 10 years. Yeah, I know. That's one of the things that I saw. I remember when I started my very first company, which was a recruitment business for the computing industry, and I came up with the name Best People. I'd thought about it for a while. I'd worked on it probably for a week. And I thought, well, you know, I'm in recruitment and I want the I want to give people the best, you know, the best candidates, the best people that are working for you, the best clients. So I came up with that. And then a UK company had come up with the same name and they flew me across to London and, and uh, were thinking of buying me. And, and I was in the boardroom and they asked me, how did you come up with the name? And I kind of explained that, you know, went through the process. I tumbled around with the ideas. I said, oh, how did you guys come up with it? They said, oh, we, we paid a company in Germany 20,000 pounds and they came up with it. And I thought, okay, well, that's one way of doing it. So um, with Booktopia, um, for those that are interested, um, how I came up with it, because I had the exact, the way that you described that, it was kind of like, how do I create a place? I knew Amazon had that kind of feel and you're talking about 2004. So Amazon had been going for 10 years or a little over. And so um, they, they're not as big as they are today. And in fact, um, they were still quite small, really. And, and so I had this kind of process that I was going through in trying to find that out. And I was coming up with names and I just wasn't happy. Uh, I, was think, I remember thinking of you know, uh, you know, Jane Austen and you know, um, you know, Darcy, Darcy's books. Or, or I even did searches on the internet and I came across the bookstore precinct in rome called argelesum um and i thought well that's you know that's that's unique and i looked up argelesum and a company had already bought the url and owned it amazon.com had already bought and owned it um oddly enough and so so okay all right and then i was going on a holiday up the coast of new south wales camping trip and i was in the national park of new south wales um insects screaming at the top of their lungs and and I turned to the person I was with and I said, oh my God, it's, it's like that kid's movie, Ants, where the insects talk about this place called Insectopia. And then I was like, Booktopia, that'd be a good name. Of course, we were on dial-up modems back in 2003, so I couldn't get on my phone and go, oh, I wonder if that's available. I had to wait a whole week till the camping trip was over to drive back, park in front of the house, run inside, turn on the computer. Yes, it's available. Bought the URL, registered the business, and, and we, kind of, we kind of went from there. So it, it that's, was, that's exactly the way you should go about doing a name. And I'm, I'm guessing if you're like me, that would have just been sitting in your brain right at the front for the whole rest of your holiday, just going, uh, is it available? Is it available? But, uh, yeah, well, yeah, I, but, I could have called, I could have called someone and get someone to look it up, but it was the, it was that when I knew that I had found it, it was, it was like, I want to have that experience of going to the asset website and seeing if, and doing that search. Um, and seeing if yep. it was a battle. Um, but- yeah, your, your your story, your story about the you know, the book precincts in Rome and stuff. Stories are good because it, it just creates another dimension to it. I, uh, a friend of mine, uh, and this is in the book, uh, set up a insurance underwriting business for events and concerts. So they do a lot of you know, music festivals and so on. And uh, 
I suggested to him, because um, I'm a bit of a music festival tragic, uh, in 1971, not that I remember it literally from then, but in 1971, the Rolling Stones held a concert at uh, a raceway in California. It was meant to be the Western Woodstock. 300,000 people turned up and it was pretty loose. The stage was only tiny and for security, they used the Hell's Angels. Great idea. So the Hell's Angels ended up stabbing a, a, a drugged up punter to death right in front of the stage. All of it was on film. The stones flew out like 10 of them in a tiny helicopter. And so Altamont, which is the name of the raceway, became just an absolute one word code in the whole music industry for the greatest disaster you could possibly come up with by managing an event badly so i said why do you call it altamont and so he went and watched the youtube videos just went yes and so he called his insurance company altamont and so now when he goes and meets a client they either know the story and they just go great name mate or if they don't he tells them the story and they go that's an awesome story great name and so it's there's a whole uh there's a whole biblical morality lesson on what can happen if you don't organize your events and concerts properly to which nick's company is the antidote corporate clients would go oh it's a bit negative people got killed but that's not how customers relate to your brand name out there in the real world they just go well that's cool mm, interesting so so um in terms of um what's next for you um just uh, everything uh, um, author tours i guess is on, on the you're going to you're going to be visiting a lot of bookshops and and moving your book from the bottom shelf into the like eye level shelf right in front so it's not the spine out it's going to be you know cover out and is that is that how you're planning the next few months uh i it's a bit of that doing a lot of digital uh, digital marketing out there uh, just uh, hammering it one of the one of the good things about having an audiovisual technical company the two only very few good things came out of 2020 for me because what we do was literally made illegal in April 2020 so we were immobilized and so uh, so what we did was took all the technology we'd normally use for live events and created epic TV studio setups in our warehouses. So uh, we're still managing the business out of that deep hole in Victoria. We're still in that hole. So it's been a stressful old time. Um, but on the upside, it does mean I've got my own TV studio. So uh, I've been making lots of videos to uh, push the book out there, which have, uh, people soon have been watching. Which is uh, which is nice. So uh, yeah, so I'm kind of uh, yeah hustling the book out there in uh, digital marketing land and uh, trying to help the businesses uh, business recover. We did manage to make it through COVID with all of our staff intact, uh, and so uh, yeah, going to uh, you know, focus on those businesses for a little while and, and obviously soak up the exciting glory of seeing the book out there. My, I mean, the main reason I wrote it was just because I felt it would lead to adventures what they are who knows but the great thing about business is just random people get in touch and say hey i read your book or i saw your thing i want to talk about something i don't know what it's going to be but i know it'll happen and it'll be interesting mm. and and then one of the last questions 
um, before we need to part, I always like to ask is, is there anything given you've written the book, spent a lot of time on that, um, that you haven't, that you, that we haven't discussed or thought about and you, you think, oh, you want to leave this with the, the listeners, something to, to ponder or consider? I honestly can't think of anything. I think we, we've covered a fair amount of it. I mean, I, uh, I think your customers should just buy the book. It's fascinating. I'm learning about digital marketing as you would have, and that uh, I've done so much pushing of putting out stuff about the book and everyone's like, yeah, great. And my digital marketing guy said, you have to make a hustle video that literally you going, buy the book. And I'm like, really? People get the message. They know there's a book. If they want it, they'll buy it. And he's like, no. Nah, you got to do that. So I literally put out a video yesterday going, buy the book, will you? And people are like, oh, yeah, I better go and buy the book. So uh, it's fascinating how people kind of need to literally be told that. So uh, Booktopia readers, if you could buy the book, that would be lovely. Uh, other than that, I look, I, I really just want to ask you questions, Tony, about how you got your business to the next stage because where you described having your business at uh, – at a size that we are currently and you just went let's take it to the next level so uh yeah what were you thinking when you were when you were at uh the size you were eight years ago right what made so, you not just go i could live a comfortable life yeah, so so your business is turning over 20 mil about that yeah yeah so when interestingly when we were turning over 20 million um i um, um our website was really dated we knew that we needed an upgrade, and one of the mums at my son's primary school was a was a graphic designer. Corporate um, did a lot of corporate work, so we were on a still on a limited budget. It would have been around say twenty twelve, something like twenty twelve, and um, I gave her the brief and said, um, "We're turning over twenty million. The brief for the new look and feel of the website is." That when someone comes to the website and they look at it for the first time, they don't know who we are, and you ask them how much do you reckon, how much revenue do you reckon, do you reckon they're turning over? The answer has to be a hundred million. That was it. That was yep. the brief. That was it. And she went that was and did it. that, and then, and then, um, um, but that that was one part of it. The main because I'm very horizon point driven. So at twenty million, I probably would have been aiming to get to thirty million. And so for me, it's like, well, what do I need to have in place to do that? What's missing? Um, and by going on that voyage of discovery of asking good questions. So where we are today, it's 200 million. So um, to me, it's to get to 300 million. Uh, we're well on the way uh, past 200 million, but it's like, okay, so to get to 300 million, well, what, what things are missing? What, what else could we do? And uh, we started our own, our own publishing company recently. And uh, in the last couple of years. And so we've got a lot of books um, for the, you can see them in because they're behind me on my shelf, the books I that can, we published. I can indeed. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's like, okay, well, how can we sell more? What else could we be doing? And so that it's that voyage of discovery of going, well, we could do this and we could do that. So it's the quality of the questions that you're asking around it rather than why, instead of saying, why aren't we selling more or what, you know, the competition is too tough. I, I'm, I just don't engage in that kind of level of curiosity. I'm, I'm constantly uh, thinking about um, you know, what would get us to there. And then 
ultimately my goal is to get to 500 million in revenue in Australia and then a billion um, internationally. So, so that's ma mainly what I'm doing. Um, could be through acquisition as well. So it could simply be, well, all we need to do is just buy a few companies and integrate them and apply all of our knowledge and, and skill to what we do uh, uh, to that, to, you know, to that client base. In your case, it could be that there's a company doing a lot more government or a lot more um, in, in, a, in verticals that you've never really played in, um, but they've just focused on that. So then it's like, yeah, well, we'll just take over that and then apply all of our expertise and processes and, and uh, efficiencies. We can get rid of this and get rid of that. So, so that, that's the, you know, that's the way that I start to do it, but I'm, I must, must admit, I'm very horizon point driven. So I get obsessed about getting from here to there. Um, and that's, that, that makes it much easier because I was explaining to my son the other day that when I was in Hawaii, that business school that I talked about earlier, um, I'd, I'd gone to bed early one night. I was really exhausted. It was a long day, 7am starting in your running team, 2am finishing in your marketing, marketing team. And I, I missed, you know, I woke up around 11 o'clock and I, there was these guys that were out near the pool. This was in Hawaii, um, in at the pool on the sun sun deck chairs, looking up into the dark skies. What the hell are you doing? It's the middle of the night, and they said, "Oh, there's going to be a lunar eclipse," and um, in in ten minutes. And the guy that had been speaking during the day was uh, teaching us about negotiation, and you have to think in three D. Um, he was a Texan. You got to think in three D, and so and so. Um, you know, taking different positions and looking from this angle and that angle, what's it like to be the customer? What's it like to be um, the client? What's it like to be someone working in your warehouse? How does it all look from your, from different positions? And, and so I'm standing there watching the moon move from, of which oddly enough, we had a, a deep uh, red moon recently here in Sydney um, and through Australia just in the last few weeks. And what was happening is it goes from that bright white light that you look at the moon reflecting the light reflecting from the sun back to us and then it gets to this very soft red as the as the light refracts around the the atmosphere and casts a shadow and then all of a sudden like looking at one of those magic 3d eye kind of pictures where it looks like colors and all of a sudden you can see a 3d image in there and it goes from this two-dimensional splash of color to a 3d image the moon went from that went from this okay and I could see the foreground and I could see the moon and I could see the background. And all of a sudden I was like, ah, oh, now I can, now I get how they got there because it's just from here to there. It was a ball hanging in space. And, and that was quite a realization for me in terms of anything, wanting to achieve something. It might look like a long way away, but it's a, it's a, it's, it's a point. It's not, it's not a, a, a hologram that you can't ever get to. It's, it's there. And that I think is one of the most important things that for people who are looking to, you know, build a business, especially where, where you're at, um, to, to get to that next. Are you number one? Are you, is there? No, you... no, we're, we're not number one. There are, there are bigger ones than us where we, part of it is, uh, part of it is clients, big clients. Is like, Can I swear on this podcast? Of course. Uh, there's a saying in the ad agency business in terms of uh, agency size versus client size, and that is elephants fuck elephants. Uh, and you can dress up like an elephant all you want. If you're a small agency, 
but that giant telco is probably still going to want another elephant, not you. Uh, so we're sort of, we're good with the size clients we have, but but we, we have got to where we are largely by pretending to be bigger. It is, there's a bit in the book about this. It is very much a Wizard of Oz act of pretending to be much bigger than you are because there's a lot of just animal herd reassurance in something that's big. Uh, and so there's a chapter in the book about how to not look small business. Uh, yeah. Cause there's a lot of dead giveaways people do, you know, they have a website that's only got a mobile phone number on it. They don't have an address uh, and they use all these other small business cues, which says to the customer, if things get weird, I might not be able to contact them. They might just disappear. Therefore, I may go with someone who appears to have an office who has a landline phone with someone answering it because that's a big company I can rely on. Now, we live in a golden era now where you can fake all that stuff virtually. So if you are a yeah, uh, single person working at home, you can still come across as a giant corporation so that customers go, I feel safe. You will always get further coming across as a safe option than some kind of exciting glory wow factor thing because at the end of the day we are still nervous herd animals that we don't want to be eaten by a lion mm. Boy, this, a lot of animal metaphors going on in there this conversation could go on for quite a while it's um it's it's fun to start diving into these things in particular how to market your business and how to grow it that's always uh, one of them for me one of the most appealing things but i can i'm looking at the time ian and i know you've got to jump off for another another call so um, all I can do is say thank you for coming on uh, Plugged and Unplanned. Uh, congrats on the book, Undisruptible. Ian Whitworth, published by Penguin. You can get it at any bookstore. Good, They say any good bookstore, but quite frankly, any bad they bookstore too. Any bookstore. I care, I care what sort of bookstore they buy it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and online with Booktopia or Amazon, wherever. Congrats um, on your career, on your business, on your on. Your, your, your business thinking and thank you for spending so much time distilling what you've you've learned uh, down into a fun book for all of us to to read and 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 learn from congratulations uh, terrific talking to you tony i sort of followed your career since the old uh, lane cove days and uh yeah impressive so uh, yeah great to uh, catch up at last good on you all right we'll talk soon okay thanks mate thanks Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia. Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au